Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. All right, let's get straight into this story because I am not a big Starbucks fan, but I actually might start buying Starbucks for this program. But Starbucks to offer NFT-based loyalty program alongside Polygon. I am a big Matic holder, a big Matic fanatic. So this is outstanding for me. Basically, Starbucks is going to launch an NFT-based loyalty program with the blockchain on Polygon to create an accessible Web3 community that enables you new ways to engage and all of those fun things. It's going to be called Starbucks Odyssey. And you can earn and buy digital stamps in the form of NFTs that offer benefits and immersive experience. And basically, it's just an extension of what they currently have. And I'm just very excited for it. I think this is really going to help bridge the gap when it comes to Web3. And we're going to really get mass adoption this next bull run. And I've been screaming to focus on NFTs for the next bull run. Will, you have your hand up. Please talk to us. Yeah, I should really just give the story to Jen because she's going to be super positive about it. So I need to jump in and be really negative just to balance things out beforehand. Why do you need a blockchain for this? You don't. This is about decentralization, right? Blockchain should be decentralized. You should have assets on top of it that no one can control and anyone can use. Starbucks is using this for its own centralized platform and project and program to make more money. Why do they need a blockchain for this? I don't get it. Starbucks has a very interesting fintech arm of its entire business, right? That little Starbucks card or the app that you use on your phone basically operates as a bank. They have a lot of money under management that a lot of people don't know about. And they make good money on top of that just by having refinancing from all the money that people load into their Starbucks cards just so you can get your latte on Monday morning. But this project is a little bit different, right? It's supposed to be on top of a blockchain, get your NFT, get your little badge, maybe get some access to that you know, latte in the fall that you want with your Ugg boots. I don't get the decentralized part. <laughs> Why not just roll it up into the app and keep it, keep it all together, right? I don't get the whole point of it. I want to give it to Jen, but Wendy, I saw your hand go up. Go for it, Wendy, and I'll take it. Okay. 
So I think it's just an extension of the current program they have, and they're probably just going to integrate NFTs into this because everybody wants to have an NFT. If you are a diehard Starbucks fan and you can get an NFT that shows that you purchased 1,000 pumpkin spice lattes, why not? I think it's fun. I think it's interactive. <laughs> but you can do that People on like, like an, an app. An why NFT do you need that a blockchain says you've for purchased 1,000 pumpkin spice lattes. I'm sorry to say, but you are basic. I'm sorry. Yeah. A thousand just of them? Saying, come on. Just, I, I'm, come just, on. I'm just throwing out a number. Just throwing out a number. <laughs> Go ahead, Jen. Okay. Okay. Well, I think you're right. I mean, why do you need decentralization Ooh. for this? But, but, but I think we're far away from achieving real decentralization, right? And so for, for brands to eventually get to that point where they're achieving decentralization in some way, shape or form that maybe we can't imagine right now, I think this is the right next step. I don't know that Starbucks customers are out there begging for NFTs, but I think that this program is kind of cool and, and the right next step for their loyalty program. And so, Will, I was going to mention the fact that Starbucks operates as a bank also. They have more than $2 billion worth of cash that people just load onto their cards, forget about spend and, and whatever. I pulled a quote from Starbucks' CMO, whose name is Brady Brewer, which I thought was great. Your last name is Brewer and you're the CMO <laughs> wow, at Starbucks. Nice. He said, it happens to be built on blockchain and Web3 technologies, but the customer, to be honest, may very well not even know that's what they're doing is interacting with blockchain technology. It's just an enabler. So they don't plan on advertising this as NFTs. They don't plan on talking too much about blockchain, but I think their long-term vision is right. And I have an idea for their NFT project. So they said they're going to partner with artists and there's going to be internal people at Starbucks who work on the art for some of these NFTs. I think that they should work with artists from the countries where they source their coffee beans from. I think that some of the proceeds from that should go back to the artists so they can empower those communities. And I think that will really help get some of their customers on board because they're going to feel like they're doing good. Starbucks, if you need a marketing consultant, please call me. Adam, what do you got? This is a great conversation so far. I think that when we're talking about this stuff, like there's the specifics of the program and then there's sort of kind of the broad moment that we're in right now. NFTs of the last number of years have become, have gone from being something that was super niche. We used to call them collectible tokens or digital collectibles to now being something that is pretty mainstream. And I think that this is just kind of another sign that we are continuing to walk down that path. To the point about decentralization, you know, you're right, but I just think that this is about this stuff getting boring, right? Like, it becoming part of kind of our everyday world and our everyday experiences to the point where we don't have to think about them as digital collectibles. It's just kind of a reality that, hey, this is a thing. And we stop thinking about it in terms of is it a thing or is it not a thing? And it's just how are people using it in this particular circumstance? So again, there are ways that I could really kind of twist my brain to get to a point where it makes sense to do this with a blockchain. But it, you know, it, it's like the partnership with Dulce and Gabbana, right? You know, like where you, you know, buy 10,000 pumpkin spice lattes and then you get a single boot, right? You know, like those types of things. <laughs> like you could, you could see a reason why you would want to use distributed tokens and a distributed infrastructure for something like that. Cause you really want neutrality and making sure that you, that your uh, token remains autonomous. But to the point, it is a little bit ridiculous. At the same time, I think it continues to emphasize that we are moving towards this not being a thing we think about anymore, which I, for one, am excited about. Will? Yeah, last thought on it is that maybe you can use these like Starbucks NFTs and swap them to another chain. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know. So maybe that's like the grand ambitions of it, right? Like an interconnected 
interoperable Starbucks chains. I, 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 in the you're you're, you're putting way too much emphasis on this. The 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 grand ambition here <laughs> is that we talked about it on the hash here today. We've delivered Starbucks their value for doing this at all. So uh, you're welcome. Free lattes for all. <laughs> Tuesday's top story. Now, let's talk about institutional <laughs> investors. The financial big dogs, Charles Schwab, Citadel, Fidelity, and others are launching a crypto exchange called EDX Markets. Now, we've witnessed a growing amount of traditional finance companies getting involved in crypto in some way. And now it seems that some of the largest are jumping in head first. EDXM's board of directors said in a statement, crypto is a $1 trillion global asset class with over 300 million participants and pent-up demand for millions more. Unlocking this demand requires a platform that can meet the needs of both retail traders and institutional investors with high compliance and security standards. Will, I'm going to kick this one down to you. What do you think? Do you think these guys are going to be able to achieve what they set out to do? This story is for the boomers and for the people who are in the really boring <laughs> angles of crypto. But... It's extremely important. So, you know, sage wisdom. If you're in the space long enough, you know the stories to pick up on. There's an exchange called Backed that launched back in 2017, 2018. These had tried to launch for a few times and didn't quite get off the ground. I think it finally made it like in 2020. It's kind of like the little engine that could make it up the hill finally and launched. And it was to basically no one caring, even though there was so much money put into the project, so much time, so many institutional investors pushed into it. And now, to my knowledge, no one's really talking about it, right? We're talking about FTX. We're not really talking about Backed. And the reason for this is because it's a very crowded room you're walking into. No matter how many institutional investors want to get in the doors, no matter how many traditional TradFi people want to build projects in crypto, it's pretty crowded already. Like, There's a lot of chains. There's a lot of people building DEXs. There's a lot of sexes out there. Binance is huge. FTX is huge. Coinbase is huge. It's really hard to build something like this. What these guys are trying to do is use their TradFi knowledge and build an exchange that makes sense for institutional investors, makes sense for retail. I'm saying it's going to be an uphill battle. That being said, the people that they do have on board with this are very interesting, especially Fidelity. Fidelity is well known for its interest in the Bitcoin space. They started looking into Bitcoin back in 2014, 2013. They even started mining back in 2014. And a lot of the prominent people in the Bitcoin space actually were Fidelity employees at one point, like Nick Carter and Amanda Fabiano, uh, just to name a few. There's a Fidelity gang, quote unquote, out there in crypto. And there are a lot of times just original Fidelity folk that went out into space, or now VCs, executives, etc. So if you had to pick a team and you had to pick a few companies to get behind something like this and move into the space so late, this is who you want. Last note on before I throw it up to Wendy, this integration does look really promising because a lot of these accounts are already set up to be integrated live with people who might not have exposure to this, but probably do want exposure and want exposure through trusted parties, right? Don't want to make a Coinbase account. They don't want to make an FTX account because they don't know who that is. They want to use their traditional broker and they'll do it if they have the option. They'll buy Bitcoin if they have the option. Wendy, I'll throw it up to you. So I do think that this is very positive news in the long scheme of things. And one of the reasons why is, is we do know that we aren't going to get heavy regulations when it comes to stable coins. And I do remember re some of the things that I read that these stable coins do have to have some sort of custody or be backed by a bank, some, something along those lines. And I know that's not all of the information, but I think it's going to be important to get big players like this in the space as much as I dislike it. And I also wanted to comment, I'm currently in the process of reorganizing my YouTube channel. 
And I remember 2018, 2019, that was all we talked about was backed. That was it. Is this a back pump? Is it a back dump? What's happening? (laughs) And it's just so funny because that was the title of so many of my videos. And I'm like, oh my God, how lame were we back in 2019? That's all we had. That was yeah, it was literally like that that was the news. So this is I don't necessarily think this is gonna be like backed. I think like this is gonna be a little bit more organized, but again, we're gonna need big players like this to come into the space as much as I hate it. So I think that one of the interesting things about this, you know, we're talking about the parts about this that are good. One party for whom this is bad is Coinbase. Coinbase, which went public last year, you know, is another one of those companies that at the time came out with a very high IPO price. And I remember there was at least one particular group of analysts out there who were saying, hey, this is about 90% too high relative to what the true market value of this thing is going to be. Because if these markets progress like traditional markets have, then we will see a race to the bottom in terms of prices. And this will become a very, very, very competitive space. I think that really that's what this says to me is that this is becoming a very, very, very competitive space. And it's worth noting that really there are two different spaces. There are the U.S. regulated companies, of which Coinbase is sort of the the champion from the world of crypto. And then there are the unregulated spaces that, you know, primarily do not service U.S. customers because they don't want to be under those rules. And you'll notice that the non-U.S. based exchanges like Binance and FTX are certainly seeing significantly more success than the companies like Coinbase who have bet on the U.S. regulated path. So it's an interesting note. They could be the winner of a much smaller sector but still the winner in a big sense for themselves. But that would come at the cost of Coinbase, which has already suffered quite a bit. Well done to you. Yeah, I agree that there's going to be a race to the bottom. I guess the question is like, when does that happen and how fast does it happen? I think there's going to be some movement there, but it takes so long and the pie is still so big. There's so many people to onboard still. Bitcoin's really small. I think we forget about that. And something like this definitely broadens the horizons. It brings in millions of people. Fidelity is the largest... 401k provider for companies out there. Imagine all those people just getting to Bitcoin just a little bit. There's some hopium for you today on Taco Tuesday. When do you give it to you for last take? I am just kind of curious to see, like, are they going to offer FDIC, FDIC insurance? Like, how, are, how are they going to operate? Are they going to be operating similar to like a Coinbase, oh, similar to an FTX no. US? So I think that the story is important and I think it's oh, well. worth following and speaking about because I feel like the standards that this particular exchange is going to get held to is going to end up becoming an industry standard for crypto as a whole. So at least we'll be able to get some sort of clarity as to what the crypto exchanges need to do or what, I don't know, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. Wednesday's top story. If I'm smiling, it's because it's Christmas. Do Kwan and five other members of the leadership team at Terra have been issued arrest warrants by South Korea. and. The reason the Wall Street Journal has referred to it as a manhunt is that they are, at least as far as we know, most recently in Singapore, uh, which means that South Korean authorities are going to have to find them. Do Kwon has said he would surrender if this happened, but that's kind of like Donald Trump saying he's going to accept election results. So who knows? And we do have reporting from Protoss that a red alert has been issued or may be issued to Interpol. So there does seem to be some concern that he's a flight risk. South Korea is also apparently considering pulling his passport. A very quick review for those who might not be up to speed. This obviously has been a long-term story. These charges do not indicate exactly why Dokwon may be facing criminal charges, but it is under his national securities law. My theory of the case for a long time has been that Terra is effectively a Ponzi scheme, and we can talk about that. 
we may have an international manhunt on our hands. It's crime time. Can I oh my make God. my <laughs> phone call now? I did not know that was coming, but thanks to the universe. <laughs> Who is the face in jail? What, what is going on? Why, Why is it a taco? Why is it a taco? Why is the taco guy in jail? Because we have to talk taco about it, okay? We got to talk about it. How to talk about it. Oh, excellent. Who wants to talk about it? Excellent. I'll pick this one up next. This this is good for the ecosystem. It's crazy to see like a year ago where this ecosystem was at, the Terra Luna ecosystem. And now this guy's getting chased down by South Korean authorities. Literally a manhunt, as Wall Street Journal, which uses words very cautiously, is expressing mm-hmm. it as the fact that he's in Singapore, South Korean authorities are looking for him. And Interpol also has a red flag warning out for him tells you what they're thinking and you know what makes sense right we have a history of people running away from this like i haven't heard anything about three arrows capital guys since june who knows where they're at as well Uh, and these guys can just bounce off they typically actually have a lot of crypto in cold storage or other places and they can go find an island and make a pretty comfortable life meanwhile there's really horrible tragic stories of people in south korea and all over the world who lost thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, and some even even more terrible reports of self-harm based on what this ecosystem did. Uh, I guess on the flip side, the conversation is if Doquan truly believed in what he was doing, which I don't think most people would necessarily agree with at this point based on his past history, but just for devil's advocacy here, maybe get David's take on this. If he really was trying to make some sort of new financial primitive and it fell apart, interested to see how that holds up in court. If he was trying to pioneer, some build something new, a decentralized stablecoin, and it just fell flat on its face, is that a good thing that you can hold up in court and say, like, we were trying to build something else. We're an entrepreneur. We're experimenting here and didn't work out. We're not these alleged bad guys you guys, you are making us out to be. But we'll have to wait for the courtrooms and we'll have to see if he is captured first. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. To your point, I think the murkiness of the law in the industry now speaks to that, right? Right now, regulation across the board is so gray that we can interpret it in so many different ways. So I think if they were to go to court and we were to say that Doquan was, you know, trying really hard to do something that was really innovative and different, the law is so opaque that it can easily be argued against. When I read this story, I thought about that coinage interview and I'm, I'm so sorry. Every time we talk about Doquan, I think about this interview and I think about his lack of remorse. You know, he was like, well, it didn't work. We're going to try again. I'm okay. I live pretty frugally. So even though I lost my net worth, I'm good. And we forget about the retail investors on the other end of the coin, you know, people who are really trying to make some money for themselves in an economy that is just really super dire. So this is just a really sad story. Um, and I think it's not only South Korea that's going to be going after Do Kwan. There's mention of lots of class action lawsuits popping up all over the place. And we really saw Do Kwan go from crypto's darling to, you know, crypto's mm-hmm. most wanted. And we've seen this before, right? This is not the first time we've seen someone put up on a pedestal and then pushed off. And I don't think it's the last time. And so I think if anyone can take anything away from the story, don't invest what you cannot afford to lose. Most things in this space are an experiment. I saw everyone's hand go up. Wendy, I'm going to pass it up to you since you haven't spoken yet. And then I know, David, you're itching to get some words in. So again, everything is still technically in beta when we're talking about crypto, when we're talking about Bitcoin, when we're talking about NFTs. And again, 
exactly what you said, Jen. There's not a whole lot of clarity when we're talking about laws and regulations for crypto on a global scale. One of my followers actually said it best this morning because I was tweeting about Gary Gensler. They said the law is clear. The law is transparent. It is invisible. You can't see it. And the reason why is, is because there's, there's like, they give us somewhat of direction, but that's nothing that's set in stone. So we're going to continue to see people create things, do what they want to do, and people are going to get hurt in the process of that. So at this point, I, I'm almost feeling like we really need to take a stand against the SEC and some of these other legal bodies and ask them what they've been doing the last five years. What have they been doing since 2017? What have they been doing since 2018? Why don't we have any type of legal clarity? Like It shouldn't take this long to come up with some legal clarity. But the good thing about crypto is, is everything is available and transparent on the blockchain. So if somebody is doing something funny, you pretty much are able to decipher what's happening. So again, my heart goes out to anybody who lost money. My moon bag of Terra Luna is completely gone. It went to zero. And on top of it, it's on Voyager. So that makes it even more fun because I don't oh, have access to the $5. Well, the good news is you can only lose it once. <laughs> Wendy, I'm sorry we all laughed. It's funny though. No, it's, sorry it's funny. That we all the thing is, is I understood the risk of leaving, you know, those coins on Voyager. It was a moon bag. That's something I talked to about my audience. You should never leave cryptocurrency on an exchange unless it is something that you're okay with losing. But it is what it is. This is very sad. And hopefully we start to learn. We start to grow from this. And hopefully some of the people that did lose money were able to make it back in Luna Classic. Let me just get in a couple quick comments here regarding the coinage interview. Uh, I think there's two things very important about that interview. One is Definitely no remorse from Doquan. He seems to have no comprehension of the damage that he caused to individuals. That's going to be important for the case. Second thing there, again, his insistence that he was really trying to do something real. His best legal defense at this point is arguing that he's a stupid person. He has to say, I was wrong. I did not know what I was doing or else he's going to go to jail. And I think that, you know, on some level, he's a stupid person. So there might be some fairness there. Last thing I have to share, I wore a special shirt today, as I have been doing more frequently, because we called it, I'm right, my authority, I am correct, always, always correct. <laughs> and shout out to the Share Zone for that one. And we are moving on. Thursday's top story. The merge has finally happened. The bears are a oh, panda. Yeah. I only learned about that yesterday, so that's like a very exciting thing for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pandas all over the place. And if anybody w w like me was watching the Ethereum mainnet merge viewing party last night, there were songs and dances with dancing penguins, and it was all a good time. So yeah, we were up partying till about four in the morning Eastern time, and that was all great. So yes, at 6.43 a.m. UTC, which was way late <laughs> for me. In the Eastern time zone, there were actually about 41,000 people tuned in to the viewing party and we watched everything tick over. We saw the, uh, the merge happen and then we hung around and kind of bit our nails for a while to see if it actually finalized. So if we actually got a good block and if everything was being, if all the attestations were coming through and the slots were coming through and apparently there were like no missed slots for like the first four to five minutes which is really really good everybody on the on the call was just going this is going better than we thought it would so everything went super well and now if you don't know what all this is about ethereum has just had a major upgrade I probably should have said this even earlier but it had a major upgrade 
changed its consensus algorithm from proof of work to proof of stake. And those two, those two things kind of were ticking along in parallel. Then the test net, well, the staging network of the, the beacon chain merged with the mainnet. And now Ethereum is officially proof of stake after all these years. So, Will, were you watching? You know, I set my alarm to wake up for it. And then I think I missed it by a little bit because of the total terminal difficulty, how they were setting it, right? So they were setting it based on when this difficulty would happen. And so I set my alarm for like a half hour. Like It was pretty late by then already. So I should have probably just stayed up. I set my alarm, thought I'd like wake up with like 15 minutes to go beforehand, join the viewing party. And as it happens, I missed it because difficulty came a little faster than we thought was going to happen. So I, I think I woke up like five minutes after it happened. I saw everyone just on, on Twitter tweeting about it. And I was like, well, okay, that's great. I'll just go back to sleep. But it definitely was <laughs> a pretty big event. And it brings me back two years ago oh, yeah. when we first thought about the Beacon Chain launching. That was December of 2020. And Christy and I actually worked on that story together. And it's crazy to think how long it's been since that occurred. And just the frustrations, the delays that went into this, but then like the hard staking work to get them through the finish line. And now we live in a post-merge world. For the cryptocurrency ecosystem, I think that is a demarcation, right? Compared to the past, we've been looking for this merge for quite some time. It's been talked about forever. Ethereum has had such an important place within the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And there's always been this thing hanging over its head. That is the merge. And now it's done. So I think for this new network, we're going to start wondering like, what's next? And it is a new network, right? It's completely new. So there's going to be slightly different expectations for it. People are going to think of it a little bit differently. I think just the cryptocurrency community itself is also going to be slightly changed after this. David, I want to get your take though and throw it up to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 probably the uh, I'm, I'm certainly not the most expert person in this room right now. What I'm and and this is kind of foreshadowing for a, a topic that we're going to discuss in a minute. Um, but from Christy and Will, what I'm interested in is your impression of kind of who led this effort over the years, how much input there was from different players. Was this something that was just kind of handed down from the Ethereum Foundation and Vitalik? Or was it, you know, something where there was like broad participation and kind of a community effort? That's the aspect that I'm curious about. So I'm, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. There actually were hundreds of devs working on this. And yes, it came from Vitalik. And it actually, I mean, he had this in the roadmap for Ethereum from the outset, like before there were a whole bunch of people who were even interested in Ethereum. So if you bought into Ethereum, at some point, you bought into the idea of a shift to proof of stake. And a lot of people, for a lot of people, that was a drawing card for even being interested in Ethereum in the first place. So, and we have a great article that was put out this morning by Margot uh, Nijkirk and um, Sam Kessler that actually highlights eight of the developers who had a hand in it. And we're talking about people who worked on clients people within and outside of the Ethereum Foundation, people from Consensus. So it really was very much a group effort. Will, I saw your hand go up. Yeah, I'll go quickly before handing it over to Jen. To get to your question, David, a little bit, I think that yes and no. Ethereum Foundation definitely had a large play in this. Like The chief scientist for this was obviously Vitalik, and he's been the driving motivation for this. But there's been others as well. I mean, Danny Ryan and those guys also with Ethereum Foundation, but previously not always the case, right? Uh, a lot of these people actually came along during 2017, 2018. Tim Bako, 
who became the coordinator for the EF, he wasn't there beforehand, right? He was doing other stuff. And a lot of these clients were built just based on grants and they were sort of booted up themselves. So if look at Prismatic Labs, which is one of the largest clients out there. They got a grant, but they were pretty separate from everything, right? A lot of these clients that built the ETH2 network, or now we're just calling it Ethereum, they didn't have a lot of involvement with the EF. They might have gotten a grant, but they went and built these things out themselves based on a spec that the EF and Vitalika put out beforehand. So I think as far as you can say, it's like an EF thing, probably not the case this time around. There's a lot of different stakeholders involved with this, which probably makes it one of the more interesting developments. Gen to you. Okay, I have one last question before we move on to the price action around this story. So now that ETH2 is just ETH and energy has decreased by more than 99%, you know, I look at most things with an NFT lens. What does this mean for the chains that claim to be Ethereum killers? A, a lot of their narrative was around the fact that they weren't boiling the oceans. They were way more climate friendly than Ethereum was. Now that the merge has happened, does that pose a problem for these Ethereum killers? I actually would jump I in on jump that in there. and point out something. All right, give it to David. Um, so, so the environmental question is one thing, and it is important. But um, you know, one of the things for people to know is that Ethereum fees are not expected to go down immediately because of the merge. There are further stages that might accomplish that. But I think fees might be a bigger selling point for a lot of these competitors, and, and especially layer twos, than, than the environmental aspect. So that's worth keeping in mind. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. 